Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Agilisys podcast. My name is Austin Clark and I'm delighted to be your host for this discussion, which focuses on the future of healthcare and specifically why the UK needs a digitally enhanced care sector if it is to thrive. We'll also discuss the roadmap that will help us tap into the potential of technology and, importantly, what this means when it comes to skills. I'm delighted to be joined via remote link-up by a couple of brilliant guests for today's episode. First up is Catherine Pollard, Director of the Centre of Expertise at NHSX. Catherine has been described to me as a real mover and shaker in the NHS and has undertaken multiple operational, national policy director and board level roles in the healthcare sector. These include leading NHSI's work on reforming the internal market and integrated care, as well as being Director of Strategy at UCLH. We also have Paul Malcolm, Head of Healthcare at Agilisys, who brings to the discussion nearly two years of experience in healthcare transformation, which has seen him lead a number of digital enhancement projects at various levels of the UK healthcare system. Thank you both for joining me. So, Catherine, let's start with a question about your time at NHSX. Uh, it must have been something of a roller coaster, having joined in April. So, uh, how have you found your time there so far? Yes, thanks, Austin. It has indeed been a novel experience joining an organisation where you've not met anyone face to face in the middle of a pandemic. And, or well, the first thing I'd say is that NHSX has been a, an amazing organisation to join. And um, actually joining during COVID has been a great chance to work on some areas that make a great difference to um, patients and staff, but ones that I wasn't expecting to work on quite so closely when I when I signed up to be the director of the Centre of Expertise. So I joined on the 1st of April and um, I've been supporting the work we've been doing for vulnerable, isolated and recipients of social care. So uh, the carers and people in care homes, um, as well as uh, those who've been shielding. Wonderful. It's been an interesting time for sure, which uh, I guess is a a major understatement. Uh, But uh, given your experience with NHSX so far and and your previous experience across the uh, the healthcare sector, uh, I think the the kind of best place to start uh, is is with a fairly broad question. And and that is kind of why do you think that the need for for digitally enhanced care is, uh, is so important? I've done quite a few different roles across uh, the NHS in the decade or so I've been working in health, all of which have had a strong integrated health and care theme, uh, starting from the the first job I did in Tower Hamlets, trying to get the social workers and health teams to, you know, understand who was looking after whom and, and to join them up. You know, there is a great need to have uh, a digitally enhanced care sector. It will benefit the staff and the people receiving care themselves. So for for the workforce, it will enable them to record what they're observing, which will help with handovers with their teams. It will help managers in care homes to see if there's patterns emerging uh, that might predict how they could use their teams differently. It should, we hope, you know, enable the reporting of information to be much more straightforward so people aren't spending lots of time filling in paper forms and returns for the CQC or the Department of Health. And I think it should also help enable staff to understand what's happening to the people they're caring for while not physically 
having them face to face. So thinking about what sorts of tools they can use to enable uh, older people to call on them, uh, perhaps then have a consultation um, or a conversation with their carer using video rather than the carer having to go into the home. So I think it will offer a lot more flexibility, hopefully a lot more tailoring, and I think very impactfully really help bring together the work of the health service, the work of the carers, and the work of the voluntary sector. So you've got a much more seamless wraparound people in their families. It's, that's very interesting. So given everything that you've said there, you know, what technologies or, or digital solutions are really driving transformation at the moment? And, and how are they helping? So we think somewhere between 10 and 20% of care homes might not have broadband um, and a further significant proportion won't have broadband in every single room. Uh, They don't always have, they might have a computer, it might have email, it might not have a secure email, they might not have a tablet or they might have not have a policy if they're using smartphones that means that all of the residents can do a video consultation with their GP or FaceTime with their family. So I think quite a lot of this isn't actually about transformation in terms of innovation. Some of this is just about the the real basics. I think the other key important thing to think about is data and how we start to capture the data about what's happening in a caring setting in a at least in a significantly structured way that it can then be linked with health data and and or potentially analyzed or or used to ease that regulatory and reporting reporting burden. There obviously is there going to be quite a lot around the sharing of care records. Um, and once those basics in place, there's a huge scope for innovation. There is, you know, band-aids now that you can put on that are smart and they can tell you what's happening with your vital signs. And there are apps through which you can now start to build cognitive resilience. There are platforms that focus on you know, digital falls prevention. I mean, some of these things are, are fantastic and will be incredibly helpful in terms of you know, promoting independence and wellness, but they have to start from really good foundations involving connectivity, the right smart devices, and the right record keeping that's electronic. That's interesting. And, and I'd like to bring Paul's kind of thoughts in here and, and kind of utilising his experience of talking to, to organisations across the, the public sector. Is this something that, that you agree with? Kind of, Do we need to look at the foundations and, and almost walk before we can run? Uh, I would completely support that. I think there is an awful lot of talk at the moment around integrated health and social care and how we actually make that happen. Um, and there are some really, really good examples and some really good ideas about visions and what could be done. And so building building on what Catherine said, I, I think unless you've got some, some fundamentals in place, there will always remain good ideas or, or at best good ideas in isolation. And I think some of the fundamentals of putting simple things like broadband into place, not just because we can connect data and information across the health economy, the health and social care economy, but for really simple human things such as, you know, interacting with your family for when travel is restricted, the ability to, to use broadband and FaceTime and, and, and Zoom and other, and other um, devices to share that connection with family, with people who can't physically get to see you, I think is, is a huge benefit and should not be underestimated, both in terms of, sort of social isolation and in terms of mental health. So there's lots and lots of reasons and, and examples of where simple digital, te- te- digital technologies can make huge differences. 
very good, and and it, we've covered a kind of couple of the, the barriers to uh, to tech adoption and and that kind of digitally enabled care. But but what other kind of barriers and roadblocks exist? Well, I think um, many of the same barriers and challenges exist in the care sector as they do in health, which I think fundamentally comes back to the point that both of these sectors are incredibly stretched at the moment. I mean, the care sector in particular has has experienced significant real-term reductions in their like per you know per person income over the course of the last decade and so that has led to um, a lack of kind of cash to be that could be saved in order to make investments and to think about kind of adopting innovation that might in the long term be that like, might generate financial savings but in the short term do cost money and and cost distraction and kind of time and then I think the other thing as well is time I think appreciating the incredibly stretched workforce and incredibly stretched providers that we're going to be trying to support is absolutely critical I think that understanding that kind of context is really important Um, and so some of the really practical things around negotiating the deals with the broadband suppliers and and thinking about helping generate business cases for them that says, you know, actually, if you bought a few tablets, this is how much you could you could save because you could, you know, save this much staff time by by digitizing some of these tasks. Some so some really practical things, I think, I think might be helpful. Yeah, it, it's interesting there that the mention of, of kind of uh, process automation and Paul, I know that's something that that Agilisys is working kind of heavily on, and it is in in many ways the the whole kind of topic of, of uh, robotic process automation, a, a kind of core component of, of getting where we want to be with digital care? Uh, I, th- I think there's lots of things that ro- robotic process automation could help with. Um, and it, it's very simple as form. It, it's the way of giving people back time. If time is a commodity, um, as Scott Catherine alluded to, what can we do to use digital technology to enable people at the front line to have more time to care for their care for their patients. Um, and one of the things that we can do with, with things, tools such as robotic process automation is, is free up some of the administration burden that sits across the health and social care sector and indeed in care homes where anything we can do to reduce the burden of you know, um, filling in forms, gathering information, writing reports, anything that takes people away from the job that ultimately most people really want to do, which is to, to look after the people that's in their care, that's got to be a good thing. Um, and certainly there's things that we can do as, as an organisation. And, and, you know, in terms of the sort of process and the process involvement, I think that's something we could look at and certainly an area where, where digital technologies can make a difference, um, not, just, uh, enable, not just through the enabling factors of things like broadband, but actually streamlining the processes and giving caregivers more time to do the, the tasks that they that they're there to do that they want to do in the first place. That's why they joined the sector to look after the patients and to and to care for others. Indeed, yeah, that, that's a, a very fair point. So, uh, with, with everything that we've said so far, how do we get to a position where we we have a digitally enabled healthcare system, and how will we maximise the potential of, of digital? Uh, so, yeah, Catherine, kind of, how do you see the roadmap developing? I think, I think this- thing is is probably to focus on it um so i think um there has been some efforts done 
nationally um, to invest and enable uh, both innovation and more practical real-time learning um, in the care sector. So one project that has got great promise is something called the Electronic Red Bag, which is thinking about what's that kind of basic set of informational requirements about a person, what's their kind of baseline eyesight, what medicines they're on, do they have dentures? Those things that can go alongside the physical red bag, such that if someone goes into hospital, the hospital, you know, can know what their baseline needs are. The first thing on our roadmap is like national attention and national focus. And I'm, I'm pleased to say that I think, I think we're hopefully there on that one. But that needs to support locally led change. Um, this is a fundamentally a change in culture and operating models. Um, not just a shift from analog to digital. And that's going to require the same uh, time and care and attention that we would put into transitioning a hospital off paper and onto an electronic healthcare record system. So I think it's going to be national working in partnership and in support of of locally led change. And then I think it's about uh, leveraging all of that great supplier knowledge and insight like you have at Agilisys in terms of thinking about the opportunities that RPA has to offer, um, like, you know, a number of the electronic care record providers have, and indeed some of the more innovative frontline startups have that might be doing something very focused on, on force prevention. And so I think I think it's thinking about how we can use all of that asset base rather than saying we're going to start from a blank piece of paper. Then I think the other element to the roadmap is money. And then the final one I've, I've already spoken about is kind of people. So I think in terms of a time frame, if we at the centre can start to kind of marshal some of those resources in a convening role over the summer months, we might be in a position to, over the next 18 months, uh, put the right investment in, in both in financial terms and in uh, transformational capability terms into, into the care sector that we'd hope that, if not, in order for the, you know, to really make sure that we deal with the second peak of this particular pandemic, but certainly that going forward by the end of two two years, we've seen a, a significant step change um, across the country um, in terms of the, um, at least the basics, with universal uptake of the basics in um, connectivity and in devices and in um, care records, um, as well as that really crucial linkage of the data um, between between health and care. The first thing that probably we need to do is to try and encourage compliance with the Care Act requirement for the use of the NHS number to be recorded in social care. Um, so this means that when we're talking about individuals, we know that we're talking about the same individual and that that data can be linked. Um, and then I think the second element is, is recognising the really critical and important work of the PRSD, which is the Personal Records Standards Board, which drew quite a lot of engagement and involvement with different stakeholders from across health and care, is trying to set some of those standards around what data items we collect, what we call different things, and, and how we record and codify those. So I'm not sure we need a new organisation. We probably just need to make sure that we are enforcing compliance and concordance with the existing sets of standards and requirements around data that we have and understand if there isn't compliance, why and, and what we need to do differently. Does it mean that the standards are wrong or is, is, or is it more of a fundamental issue that we need to address? 
Paul, what's your, your kind of take on that? Have you got anything to add to uh, to what Catherine said there? I think we could talk all day about standards and, and the, the lots and lots of standards and standard boards that are out there and they vary from technical standards to organisation or, or process and system standards. But I, I think the key point about it is ultimately it's about how do we share information in the most appropriate way to the people that, that need to know wherever and whenever they need to know that information. And that's some sort of very grand thing to say, but but the reality is what all of this is about getting the right information to the people administering care or at the time when they need to, to do the task they need to do. I think an interesting question becomes around the the personal components um, and, a, and in a conversation perhaps around whose data is there anyway. And I, I know this is a, is a much wider topic. But as we start to see integrated care systems form um, and there's lots of ongoing initiatives now around about data sharing agreements across localities and um, across the STPs and, and now the ICSs. And the, everyone's got the same common goal about, you know, enabling the, the right uh, professional to have access to the information they need when they're administering care. But what does the role of the individual have to be in this mix? It's the individual's health record and, and more and more there is a, a growing uh, view, I think, that we all need to be, as a population, we need to be slightly more involved, potentially, in our long-term care. Um, and that involves us, as individuals, being part and parcel of the conversation, um, both with um, NHS and, and clinical organisations, but also with social care and, and more and more with third sector organisations. And we're quite interested just to see how we think that the role of the individual and potentially the, the personal health record um, and providing information through the use of technology, through use of you know, potentially devices, monitors, watches, whatever it happens to be. That's all got potentially got a part to play in, in wellness and prevention as well as ongoing treatment and ongoing treatment of, of long-term and potentially in chronic care. Yeah, that, kind of bringing together something that both of you have touched on so far is kind of the culture and, and kind of how we work and Therefore, how we can bring together multiple organisations, such as local authorities, NHS organisations, uh, as well as third sector uh, organisations in, into one care system. So how do we overcome the, the cultural barriers, if you like, uh, that, that exist? And kind of how will digital enable that, that kind of single system? So having worked in this space on and off for the best part of a decade, relationships are key and those relationships be those amongst the individuals all looking after the same person um, and there are some fantastic examples of this when it works well so you know when you've got situations like when my my grandfather who had really quite aggressively deteriorating dementia and was very much approaching his end of life the joined up working between the GP and the carers and then the hospice that we ended up um, relocating him to like we couldn't have asked for more as a family but I think we we were actually lucky and that's sad that that kind of level of joint working is not as common as it needs to be but often that's to do with people not knowing each other they've never worked together they use different sets of language in health we talk about patients in care we talk about users and mostly we're just talking about people and the same applies at the kind of system level, at the leadership level, where where there may be, you know, been difficult relationships, often often due to 
financial change or there may have just been a lack of continuity in, in who's been in post. So, I mean, I think technology has a role to play in terms of it's enabling us to probably run multi-organizational meetings online in a way that, you know, in the past we would have probably had like a whole convoluted rotation of meeting venue around, you know, different organizations to ensure that the power dynamic was sufficiently balanced. And now we can just get everyone on a video call and, and no one will think anything about it. But fundamentally, this is about people needing time to get to know each other as people at every level and then to work out how they're going to work together in teams, much in the way that we would if we were all in one organisation. So is that a mindset issue as well as anything else? To some extent. I mean, I don't think the way that we train people, um, particularly clinical staff, and um, care staff, which I think probably reinforces the silos and reinforces the difference in vocabulary. It certainly doesn't help. So I, th- I think I think there are things we can do to support joint teamwork. So Frimley has done a huge piece of work, including working with other public sector services, including the armed forces and some of their local industry partners who work in in the kind of health and wellbeing space in Surrey. And put together a kind of what they call a system leadership uh, training program which uh, works at all levels so it's you know it says everyone should be a system leader no matter you know whether you're a porter or whether you're a chief executive so I think having that vision to to make that sort of transformational investment um, probably is a bit of a mindset change but I think it's also just a little bit about getting out of the way To some extent, I think teams would do this if they had the time and space and like opportunities to connect. But often they're being kind of pulled through different organisational imperatives in different directions. So it's possibly about doing slightly less rather than doing slightly more. That's an interesting take, really. Uh, And I guess skills also come into play. And if we end up kind of where we want to be with this digitally enabled kind of care system, I guess we're going to need very different skills to, to what what we have today. I'm not sure. I think it's about levelling up, perhaps, rather than very, very different skills. If we... So we need to make sure... You're absolutely right that we need to make sure that we are digitally inclusive and that we don't just make um, this work for people who can use a smartphone. And um, or, you know, can use, you know, interrogate using Tableau, um, like, you know, complex sets of data in order to get an insight out. We have to make sure that the products are incredibly intuitive. But I actually think a lot of the products really are now, you know, incredibly user friendly. Um, And so it's a bit about confidence. You know, um, even transitioning my mother, who's in her late 60s, from using an iPhone with a home key to using one without has been an interesting um, experience I've supported her through. But she got there, <laughs> you know, probably more quickly than, than she thought she would. And so I think I think we've, you know, we've we've got so much potential at our fingertips if we can if we can embed the technology in a way that is intuitive. I think the literacy, the digital literacy journey, at least for you know, most people and most frontline staff, should be fairly straightforward. Um, I definitely think there is a skills agenda around data analysis 
both in terms of the, you know, the data science and the data curation, and then kind of all of the kind of interesting analyses that you might want to, you might want to do. And there's definitely something around vision and having leaders who get the tech, the tech agenda and at least certainly open to the role that technology has to play and ask the right questions. But I think it, it might not be quite the uphill struggle as, as we fear it, if we go about it in the right way. Um, if you don't mind, I'll give you an anecdote about what it was like rolling out some of the barcoding oh. in um, hospitals. Please do. Yeah. So most of us will have experienced at least once or twice scanning our own fruit and veg and cereal in the supermarket as we do self-checkout. Um, we're actually scanning barcodes of patients and drugs is not that dissimilar yet interestingly when some of the role um that's been technology has been rolled out in hospitals um under an initiative called scan for safety the the level of uptake and change was surprisingly slow and and interestingly when when we unpicked why that why that was it was actually a lack of confidence in the staff they wanted to make sure that they were doing it right they were so concerned about it going wrong and it not really being as intuitive and simple as it first seemed. Um, so there was an amount of reassurance. But then the other thing that uh, became apparent was they hadn't really been brought into the case for change around why we needed to do it in the first place. Because they were like, no, we don't make we don't make medicines errors. You know, like it's it's all it's all in hand. We don't need to scan this. This just feels like an additional task to do when we're busy. But actually, when you then kind of showed them the data around some of the kind of medicines errors um, that had come from the audit. So like they were, I think, quite surprised about the extent to which there was still, um, uh, you know, dispensing errors. Um, I mean, small ones, but but it still potentially can cause patient harm. And so often I think skills is also about um, getting buy-in to why we're trying to do these things and really helping people understand what it means for their role and how, um, they'll be supported to do it in a way that is, is is confident. And so it's as much about how you do the the rollout, probably more than it is about them not having the skills in the first place. Very interesting. That's uh, uh, great. We always love a good uh, analogy and, uh, and case study there. So uh, so thanks for that. Pulling everything together that, that we've discussed today, uh, what change do you see kind of coming over the hill, as it were? So in my mind... Um, it will all be about changes that make people's lives better, enable them to be more independent, um, be they living in a care home or living in their own home, and make staff lives better. So some examples of this would be that residents of care homes would be able to have social contact with their friends and family who might not be able to visit for whatever reason. Um, they'd be able to have a consultation with their clinician or the pharmacist without having to physically leave the home, where that would be an undesirable thing for them. Uh, they'd have access to the same sorts of um, sort of personal interventions that we might be able to have to ourselves, be they to help their emotional well-being or to do rehabilitation exercises. Uh, and then if you're thinking about home, um, I'd like to see a shift towards a, a more household approach. So during COVID, we know that a significant number of more people have taken on informal caring responsibilities, be it to an older adult um, or to um, a family member with, you know, mental health challenges or learning disabilities. 
And really, I think we need to think about how almost household by household, we give them that optimum bundle of support, including things that they've got for themselves. So apps they like or Fitbit that mean that they are encouraged to take much more interest and ownership of, of their health and well-being. You know, a theme I'm, I'm 100% supportive of. And again, also help them avoid unnecessarily trips into, into hospitals or into uh, their, um, into see their GP. So I think I think this might, if we get it right, unleash a huge amount of innovation in that kind of self-management and, and wellness space. Um, and then the final dimension I'd like to see comes back to something that's very close to my heart, which is is around the data and and ensuring that you know that we have the data that's joined up so that people on the front line have the information they need when they need it, but also that we've got you know really rich data sets that we can use for analysis around population health and, and try and get more in, emphasis on prevention and anticipating where, where people might be deteriorating. Uh, I need that bit of additional support to keep them to keep them well for a bit longer. So that's kind of my, my uh, vision for the future. Paul, is what you're seeing out there in the market in line with what Catherine has said there? Yeah, very much so. I, I think Catherine said that very well. There's a whole... There's a plethora of things in, in Catherine's comments about uh, the vision and the desire for the future, and I think we'd all wholeheartedly support um, using technology in the best possible way to, to enable people to, to receive better care. But I think the point about data is, is a really, really good one. I mean, um, just in our world, we're seeing a lot of organisations now um, not just talking about seeing the value of data, but actually now trying to, trying to make some sense about the value of data. And that often starts with collecting the right data, not just the analysis of the right data. Um, and, and more and more, we're seeing that the more rich the data sets can become, the, the more that we can actually apply different factors and make much more personalized decisions for individuals. And I think that's an interesting thing to, to look at in the way forward about it's not necessarily one size fits all. It's all about how do we personalize the care that any individual receives as much as we possibly can to, to achieve the best possible outcomes. And that all stems around data and um, the analysis of the data that we collect, but, but making sure we collect all the relevant data in the first place. But collecting data doesn't need to be onerous. And, and I think that's a, a real part where technology can play and, and reflect some of the things that, that Catherine's mentioned already. Is how do we seamlessly connect data? How do we use technology to almost collect data without realizing it is being collected? Um, and then all of those things can factor into what an individual care plan looks like. And individual care plans aren't necessarily medical, but can include um, social workers, but social contact. It can include um, third sectors. It can include all sorts of different um, social prescribing techniques to provide the best possible holistic approach for an individual. And we should think about this beyond just a, a medical intervention, because I think it has to be a little bit wider than that. I think intrinsically using data well and sharing that across the ecosystem can make a massive difference to people's lives going forward. So to, to wrap up, Catherine, I think we, we've got to talk about the, the role that uh, NHSX will be playing in, in getting us to where we need to be. Uh, kind of what's happening uh, within the organisation that, that's really exciting? So, I mean, the first thing to say, I think, is that NHSX uh, needs to absolutely support this agenda and, and we hope to be at the centre of it. I would say that probably most of the work is going to happen, you know, locally. And so our job is to work out what can we do that helps that and doesn't distract or add burden. Some of it, I think, is around kind of 
that vision setting, creating a, a kind of coherent um, direction of, of travel and, a, and, a, and an element of kind of focus for um, local areas so that they know what we think the key priorities are. Then I think there's the work around standards. Um, and some of that's about just making sure that we we have the right standards, particularly the ones that apply for, for care settings. We, health ones may may or may not be appropriate. Uh, when you've got, you're talking about much smaller institutions um, and, and indeed like very different interactions between, between staff and, and people. I think we have a significant role to play in uh, market shaping. The, you know, the landscape of, of suppliers is, is diverse and rich and there is some brilliant innovation out there. I think we do just need to make sure that we use um, our market shaping role to ensure that those critical standards are are enforced. Um, I'm thinking particularly ones around interoperability and, and some of the work around cybersecurity, um, as well as some of those those critical data standards, but really also making sure that we are not kind of baking in inertia in the marketplace, that we're continuing to encourage that and stimulate that, that innovation. I think, or I hope that NHX will be able to secure resources to put some boots on the ground to help some of this to happen or, or to at least ensure that, that local authorities um, and local NHS organisations and, and the regions have that um, the resource to do the, the change management, which we spent a lot of time talking about. Time. And then finally, I think we have a role to play in terms of convening all the different national players that are active in this space, be it NHS Digital, NHS England and Improvement, Health Education England, Skills for Care, the Local Government Association, ADAS, um, there's quite a lot of, sort of national level organisations that have got things to offer, the CQC as well. And I think trying to bring it together so that there is some coherence at a national national level and that we're all pointing in the same direction um, locally. And, and I think probably a final, final reflection that really I'd like to kind of reflect on is, is also just keeping in mind and what's next. Um, I think... What, what we you know, listening to um, the remarks around the personalization agenda. Um, I mean, I couldn't agree more about how, with the right data, we can start to have a you know different conversation around around how best to keep people um, well and to act early and to encourage them to be contributors, and that that actually will potentially have in, you know value beyond the immediate. So I think. Part of NHS's role is to keep our eye on the horizon, so that we're we're doing things that make the most impact now, and that will make a difference now. But also thinking ahead about how do we position the health and care system with the right digital architecture and right data architecture to be really well positioned for kind of future generations. Excellent. Thank you. Some some great work going on there, and uh, really really exciting times for the. Uh... The health and care sector. So thank you both for your time and, and for sharing your knowledge and insights. It, it's been a great discussion today. So uh, yeah, thank you again. Thanks, Austin. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you found that discussion as interesting as I did. For more podcasts discussing the future of healthcare and transformation, alongside our latest written insights, head along to agilisys.co.uk. There, you'll also be able to subscribe to our newsletter and be the first to hear when our latest content goes live. Thanks for listening. We hope to welcome you back very soon.